Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good to see you all. We have an announcement. Serious, significant, important, exciting announcement for you um, concerning the future of this congregation. Uh, Of course, you all know that Pastor Mark... Resigned is now working for a large church in Kalamazoo, and uh, he informed me of uh, the fact that he was being considered actually in February, and that's when I began uh, the search for a potential new pastor for this congregation was in February, uh, because I knew it was very very likely he would get the job. Um, of course, we weren't able to announce. Uh, until we did get the job and she didn't find out about it then but I started looking for a replacement um, back in February had a couple of pastors I knew that I thought would be a good fit contacted them Um, they didn't turn out um, to be interested or available and then also uh, began a search process we also pulled together a leadership team uh, that were already in leadership but we made it a little more uh, official and uh, tasked them to help lead this congregation as well as be involved in the search for a new pastor. And that includes, of course, the Wagners uh, and and, uh, the Hughes, uh, the uh, uh, the Yoders, um, and uh, Edie's. And so uh, they have been meeting actually weekly. Uh, I don't come to all of the meetings, but... um, We've all been praying for it. And so I realized um, a lot of things lined up over the course uh, very quickly. Uh, once, it really, things came together quickly um, uh, in the middle of April. April 11th was Mark's last Sunday. And uh, April 11th was also when I got on a plane and flew to Mexico. Uh, as I do often to teach at the Kaleo School of Ministry. So I go to Mexico twice a year, as well as going to Tennessee uh, now at at least once a year. And so the same day, March last Sunday here, was when I flew to Mexico. Well, it was while I was in Mexico, I was uh, talking with Don Raglan, Don, along with Don and his wife Jackie, along with Josh Muse, uh, some of you may remember him. He was here once. Lead the Kaleo uh, Mission uh, and Church Planning Network. And they're, um, they have a lot of churches in Mexico, but they also have churches in Africa and the Middle East, as well as in, now they have a church in Spain and uh, a couple of churches in Canada and a number of churches in the U.S. So it's a rapidly growing network, and I love working with them. I dedicated myself to support them in whatever way I could when I met Josh about five or six years ago and things have just been moving really quickly. So while I was in Mexico, uh, Don said, you know, uh, there's a young man in our Tennessee church uh, that might be a a real good candidate. And I was like, give him a call. (laughs) Don was like, no, you want me to feel him out? I'm like, just call and ask. And uh, so Don called uh, this young man, and uh, he was very interested. Um, I talked, uh, uh, let me just tell you who it is. Uh, Some of you already met him because he was here um, a month ago. My 
Michael Grath, a young man who preached on God's kindness, actually the week before uh, Ross Gerber was here. Uh, so Michael Grath is from the church in Tennessee. And so while I was in Mexico, uh, Don, like, and I describe him this way, uh, not lightly. I've been in ministry, I've been a pastor for over 30, almost 35 years. I've worked with people in from all kinds of different networks and all different levels, pastors of mega churches, pastors of international revivals, leaders of international revival, all kinds of things. But Don and Jackie, I I don't respect anyone in ministry more than I respect Don and Jackie. In other words, of all the people I've known in ministry, these people are are two of the ones I respect the most. Because I've seen their work, I've seen their dedication. Don and Jackie, are, he's a retired veterinarian, she's a re, uh, retired nurse, but in their retirement, uh, they're working full-time uh, supporting the clay work. And so if Don and Jackie recommended this young man, um, that may caught my attention. And while I was in Mexico, <coughs> I phoned the pastor of the church in Tennessee, his name is John Cato, and I know John. And so we talked, and I said, John, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about offering Michael a position, what do you think? And he said, Cameron, just a few weeks ago, while I was in prayer, the Lord spoke to me and said that Michael is going to be leaving soon, there's a promotion coming, and that this is from God, and, and that John was to bless it. So, you know, that's like, wow. <laughs> you know, you don't base a decision on something like that, but that's one of those things that you go, that's really interesting. And so his pastor blessed him to come. And then after I got back from uh, Mexico, I actually called and had a long talk with him on the telephone just to see where he was at. And uh, he had pastored, he's been in ministry for about 12 years in different capacities. He pastored in the Methodist uh, denomination for four years, two separate uh, Methodist uh, churches. But a number of years ago, his main church, the Church of Livingston, um, uh, so in the Methodist Church, if you're a pastor, you still belong to another congregation. And so that main congregation, Livingston Church, uh, was a charismatic Methodist church, okay? So from its founding, it was a, it was a spiritual church, but it was also birthed in the, in the Methodist Wesleyan tradition. Well, uh, because of changes in the Methodist Church, they voted to leave the Methodist congregation. And if you're not aware... Um, the Methodist congregation is really becoming very, 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 very liberal in their social beliefs. Uh, uh, and so they left, and as a result, he lost his license as a Methodist in the Methodist church. And so he's just been serving since then as a volunteer youth pastor at the church in uh, Livingston. <clears throat> uh, and so, um, so John, the pastor, is really supportive and uh, he's a school teacher, but his heart is in ministry. Um, I then uh, went to, okay, so I talked to, to Michael about it. I then um, uh, had a conversation with the leadership team. Um, the weekend that Michael spoke here, he actually uh, came up early on Saturday and spent uh, Saturday, most of the day Saturday, with the leadership team. And we just hit it off. He he just walked, he, he and his wife walked in and it was like, you were there. It was like, we'd known, he just fit 
when you say <laughs> very easy to get along and so that that's another indicator it's like there wasn't any awkwardness very honest open and um, so that was great and then I was just in Tennessee last week uh, doing another school uh, and uh, him and his wife had gone through that school of ministry the year last year that was when I first met this couple and so they've been trained in uh, the type of ministry we do, the Livingston Church is very, very, very similar to this church, the Indian Community Church, and the Kaleo uh, mission is just identical to what we are. Uh, uh, you know, we believe in, uh, in all the things of the Holy Spirit, we pursue the Holy Spirit, but we also are really solid in biblical teaching and biblical theology, and a passion to reproduce and plant churches. So. Uh, churches planting churches is the passion of Kaleo. That's what New Day do. That's why you're here is because of the vision of planting churches. And so we planted this church. And so that was really great. So while I was in uh, Tennessee, I met with the, their board of elders. And that was also very, very confirming in that each and every one of the elders, uh, uh, three of them, uh, three of the, the four elders, uh, plus uh, Don and, and John, uh, who were also there. Three of those elders had known Michael almost his whole life and, and, and had, had seen him grew, grow up. And one of them was formerly his employer when he was in real estate, uh, Michael worked for him. And all of them had nothing but good things to say and thought this was a good step for Michael and that they as a church were honored to see us uh, receive one of theirs uh, into ministry. And so, yeah, very excited. Uh, God has lined up so many little indicators to where we go, man, this just, this just works. And the fact that he's available, the fact that he uh, not only is willing, but actually wants to live in a, in a rural community. And that uh, they're excited about that. They're not excited about the snow. <laughs> so pray for a mild winter. <laughs> um, what's that? Uh, and uh, so, um, while I was down there, after talking with the board of elders and his pastor, and then with Michael and Amanda again, and uh, every one of them um, affirming this decision that is of God, I offered them the decision that he accepted. And so uh, they will be moving up. They are looking for a house in this area. And um, uh, in July 24th, Saturday, July 24th, here, we are going to have an open house so that you can come and just get to know them and their three kids. They're going to be here on July 24th as a, in a meet and greet, and then he'll preach on uh, July 25th, and then they'll probably go back. I don't think they'll be moved up by then, uh, and hopefully they'll be able to move in August. And so, folks, this is really exciting news. I was prepared. Yeah. <laughs> I was prepared for a year or longer search. I have good friends that have been searching for a pastor in a church in, the, in Minnesota for well over a year, and they're sick and tired of reading resumes of people that they just, you know, and, and having interviews, and it's, it's a 
very daunting task. And for God to bring someone the very week that Mark left, you know, and Don probably talked to me on Monday or Tuesday of that week and introduced me to Michael as a candidate. And so, wow, what a provision. And, uh, <clears throat> and so it all works out. Uh, and they're going to be here and be praying for that transition. One other thing to know is that unlike Mark, uh, Mark was the associate pastor of New Day Community Church. He worked much, uh, he worked more down here the last three years uh, than in, in, in Kalamazoo. But he did, you know, even even the last week that he was working, he still had responsibilities in Kalamazoo. Michael is coming as the pastor of this congregation. And once he's here, it will begin a transition of this church becoming a sister church rather than a satellite church. And so that will mean that you'll have, uh, you know, really full autonomy once that process is completed with Michael as the pastor. I am still going to be, a, a, you know, I'm a founding pastor as well as I'll have a oversight role uh, and be there for Michael, supporting him in this church, of course, forever. And our church in Kalamazoo loves this congregation, and we want to continue that relationship. But it will look and operate a little differently. And I believe you guys are ready for it. I believe that it's, uh, it's going to open up opportunities for a lot of growth. So, all right, if you have any questions about this, you can talk to Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> or any one of the leadership team. <laughs> okay, I want to jump in and talk about healthy relationships. I'm going to try to go quickly. Uh, so I don't uh, worry all to that. Um, you know, this last year has been really, really tough on uh, mental health uh, overall. It's been, uh, there's a huge increase in, uh, in mental health problems because of the effects of the pandemic. And a massive toll on parents and children and health relationships. Today I'm going to be talking about the parent-child relationship uh, and um, one thing that, you know, we homeschooled our kids by choice, and we knew it going in, and so we were very prepared and did it very gradually. And even then, it's a tough thing to do. And boy, all of uh, so many families were thrust into doing homeschooling without no parent, no preparation or understanding, and then working from home at the same time, which to me is like, it's just impossible. I couldn't imagine working from home and having to homeschool. And uh, I, I don't think neither really worked a lot for most people. <laughs> uh, ER visits uh, for teens having mental crises increased 34%. And that's usually because of uh, drug problems or suicide attempts and massive problems. Um, and again, as a result of the isolation. You know, and adding to that, uh, the the consequences of the pandemic, you know, it's just, there's already, uh, we're living in a time where there's an upheaval of the social norms of life, okay? And the challenges we're seeing in the area of sexual identity and that whole uh, debate or argument, if you, if you like, and, and identities and all the uh, issues that are uh, at work in our society to break down the family unit and to redefine, I believe, in a, in a very poor way, or actually it's in a non-existent way, they're just ripping apart what has been the bedrock of human society, 
for as long as history is recorded. And so there's all of that pressure on the, on the family, and then adding to that this last year, all of the additional things. Regardless of what we're going through, though, God's word stays true, right? And it's true for now. It's relevant. It's true all the time or not at all. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that every verse in Scripture applies to every situation. But the whole of Scripture is true all the time, regardless of what we're going through. And so this requires us to uh, be forced to learn how to apply the unchanging principles of God's Word in a world that's in constant change, constant flux. Right? And it's difficult. But it can be done, and that's, that's our challenge as Christ followers. I love that the last verse in the Old Testament foretelling of the coming of the gospel, Malachi 4, 6, is that um, the prophet said, um, he prophesied that another would come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I mean, the thing that that was the concluding verse that God used for the entire Old Testament, that there was going to be um, a, a reunion or a, a restoration and a relationship between fathers and children, between parents and their offspring. That's a theme throughout all of Scripture, that intergenerational relationships uh, would be restored from the brokenness of sin. In fact, I was talking with uh, Luke <clears throat> Uh, this morning, and he was just talking about the importance he's realized of having his kids hang around his dad, that grandfather role, and that's that's super important. And um, uh, intergenerational relationships, the elders need infants as much as infants need elders. All right, and there's it, this this. Uh, Really, dependency is designed by God uh, to create wholesomeness in our relationships and wholesomeness in our families, which then creates wholesome communities and societies. And so, as Christ followers, uh, following God's word, we want to see this restoration of the hearts of the fathers. Whenever it says fathers, it means parents, uh, fathers and mothers, restore to the hearts of their children. Sin broke the relationship between Adam and Eve. That's a whole different message, but there was a, a fracture between uh, Adam and Eve because of sin. But then there was also the separation that they experienced uh, with their heavenly father when they were thrust out of the garden, right? And experienced separation from God the first time that they'd ever known separation. They experienced it as a result of sin. And then sin continued to destroy the very first family when Cain killed his brother Abel. Right? And then Adam and Eve not only had to grieve the loss of their firstborn son, but then Cain was thrust out of the community and had to live as an outcast. And so that caused them grief. Can you imagine the grief? And of course Adam and Eve knew this was all the result of their, their wrong choice, their decision to violate God's will. And they saw the consequences of that in their children, and they bore the pain of it. So what's the big lesson there? The big lesson is that humanity 
was uh, began with a broken family, all right? And everyone continues in some form of brokenness to varying degrees, right? No matter how healthy your family is, we all have brokenness in our families. And that's the state of the whole human race because we're all born in the Adam and Eve family. And so we carry brokenness to some degree. And you know, hopefully you've had a, a, a good uh, father and mother and it was healthy, but even in a, in a healthy, you know, my parents were generally good compared to so many people that I've ministered to. I think my parents were phenomenal, but it was still broken. My parents divorced when I was, uh, uh, you know, in my early teens and it led to uh, an incredible breakdown and, um, and hurt. Um, and so even though my father was a great provider, my mom was a good mom, but because their relationship was broken, it caused brokenness elsewhere. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the idea of family is, uh, uh, applies not only to us and our, our children and our parents, but also to us and God. Uh, uh, Ephesians talks about uh, Jesus' role, says that now you Gentiles, and just to explain that, Gentiles, of course, is any non-Jew, but in this context, he's referring to the whole of human race, okay, uh, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So this was the product, this was the result of Jesus dying on the cross. He restored our relationship. When, when you believe, when you accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sin, as the way in which you get restored in relationship with your Heavenly Father. So what was broken in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and was cast out, that gets restored to your Heavenly Father. And then as a result of that, <clears throat> It causes us to have our relationships restored with one another. And there, there's some key words in here that we, we go from being strangers and foreigners, and then there's a major step to being citizens, and that's uh, the Greek word there, is, it's, it means that you're in the same town. You're, you're natives of the same area. In other words, you're, you're part of God's people. But then there's another step that you're a member of God's family. And it's the Greek word, Okios uh, is a very, very important Greek word. It, it means being, uh, it's, it's a reference to the nuclear family, the, the, the grandparents, parents, and children that we actually come into. We go from being strangers and foreigners to citizens to actually move it into God's house. And that one, we're one with him. And so that's the purpose of the gospel, is to restore all of creation, every man, woman, and child, uh, into right relationship with God and into right relationship with other, with one another in the household of God, in the in the family of God. That's the goal. <clears throat> Paul applies this principle, this idea of restoration to the parent-child relationship. And I just want to unpack a few biblical principles that I think <clears throat> you know universally apply. I love this verse in Colossians uh, chapter 3.20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Parents, don't you love that? It's in the Bible. You just pull that out and hit your kid in the head with that. No, you can't. 
Charity, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, and again, it means parents, um, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. It's such a one little verse, but uh, it's simple, really, in many ways, but it's, it, it shows the balance that both generations carry equal responsibility in the relationship. All right? So children are responsible to behave towards their parents in appropriate ways, and parents have responsibility as well to treat their children in particular ways so that they don't lose heart. On. And the motivation for children of any age, all right, of any age. How many here are a child? We all are children, all right? You continue to have a relationship with your parents your whole life. Uh, <clears throat> and so the motivation to treat your parents well is that it pleases God. Oh! So it's not about pleasing your parent. It's about your relationship with God. And that your relationship with God is revealed in how you treat your parents. You know, at whatever age. And, 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 and examine your uh, life and your relationship, how, how healthy and how stable it is, based on how you treat your mom and dad. should have called my mom more. Too late. She passed away about five years ago. Uh, <clears throat> my father's been gone for over 25 years. Uh, be obedient means to listen attentively. That's the actual word it means. The best translation would be listen attentively. It does mean to recognize their authority. Uh, but our relationship with our parents changes. Uh, our expectations for a six-year-old is different than a 16-year-old, right? Uh, and uh, different than a 26-year-old or a 60-year-old. But does it still apply regardless of our age? So a 6-year-old, when it says be obedient to your parent, I think means basically do whatever they tell you. Because you're a 6-year-old. <laughs> you know, as I drilled into my kids, you know, do what I say, but especially if I say stop, you stop. I probably see something that you don't see, and it's, there's danger. You know, so one thing I just really drove in them. Stop! They freeze because I get ready to go out on the road and there's a car coming. Uh, <clears throat> and different things. And I, always, like, you can, I told my kids all growing up, it's like, you can always, you know, everything I say, if I say something, we can talk about it. Uh, but you can't say no to me. <laughs> I tell you to do something, no is not an option. You can ask me to clarify or to reconsider with a certain rule. But you know that changes when they're 16. In one degree, I tell parents of 16-year-olds, like, you basically don't have as much control as you used to. And really, you don't have hardly any control. Right? <laughs> what you think you have. But in a 26-year-old, you don't want control. Right? They need to be living their own life. Even as a six-year-old, you know what? My dad's been dead for 25 years. They still have a relationship in a sense, and that it still affects me and how I think of him. Uh, 
uh, has yeah, has an impact on my life, right? And so even uh, at, at a stage of life where I'm the grandparent and my parents are gone, our relationships with our parents still has an effect. At every stage of life, we must learn to relate in our, with our parents in healthy, appropriate ways. Uh, the motivation, so the motivation for children is because it pleases the Lord. So your relationship with your parents should be something that gives pleasure to God. That God says, yeah, you're, you're a good son, you're a good daughter, because you're treating these people that come to be your parents well. But the motivation for the parent to not exasperate, and that can be translated overstimulate, or to anger or cause an emotional overreaction, is to not discourage our children so they don't lose heart. Again, understanding the motivation is that parents are to be motivated by what's best for their children, uh, not what's most convenient for you necessarily. And that's often the struggle. Is you're just sick and tired of something and you yell at them. Rather than really sitting down and having your own what's what what's going to position my child best in his or her life? And how can I respond to them in a way that, that makes them ready for life and the things that they're going to endure. You know, I have four kids and it's crazy how kids can be born by the same parents in the same house and be completely different, right? And you need to be a student of your child so that you learn how not to exasperate them. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Paul's writing to a different church on the same theme. He expands on this a little bit. Uh, and so we're going to read through this. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, <clears throat> do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Again, we see that balance between the responsibility of children and the responsibility of parents to treat one another in appropriate ways. And he's basing this on the, on the commandment of, of the Ten Commandments where it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the, uh, upon the land which the Lord has given you. And that that promise is the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a specific promise that you'll have a good life, a long good life. And so, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, this is the first of the Ten Commandments that deal with relationships with others, right? The first uh, three commandments are uh, God word, have no other gods, you know, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and remember the Sabbath. And then this is the first one that deals with relationships. And it's because how we treat our parents uh, affects the whole of our lives, right? And your attitude as well as your actions. Honoring our parents establishes not only that relationship, but brings blessing in every aspect of our lives. And therefore, dishonoring our parents would have that negative effect. So uh, it's really important to understand that this relationship between you and your parents creates a baseline for
for all other relationships. And honor, honoring one another is the primary characteristic of a healthy relationship in any category. Does this make sense? Okay, so the command to honor our parents, to learn honor in the home between parent and child gives you an understanding of how to do good relationships. God designed it that way. Likewise, dysfunction in that family creates a dysfunction everywhere else. And unfortunately, we all have some dysfunction. Right? And so family of origin, <clears throat> um, uh, it's just a, a term that uh, you use in counseling, psychology, uh, that uh, uh, most behaviors are the result of the family of origin. Okay? And so it means <clears throat> what type of family did they grow up in? Because dependent on that, it, it kind of defines most often the types of struggles and dysfunctions a child or an adult will have um, based on their family of origin. And so <clears throat> honor within the family of origin uh, and creates an, a, a, a level of blessing in every relationship. Dysfunction in family of origin creates a lack of blessing and, and uh, uh, struggle, areas of struggle in every relationship. <coughs> so it's like, guys, this is super important. How we treat your parents, how we treat your kids. It can't get more important than this. All right? But God's word has the power to heal dysfunction. How many can say amen to that? All right? God's word has the power to heal whatever dysfunction <coughs> that we carry from our family of origin. Um, <clears throat> but the benefit from that, we have to believe it, okay? Uh, you have to believe what God's word is true, and you have to base your behavior on it. Right? So let's talk about what does honor mean. Uh, um, English means respect, treat with integrity, dignity, right? The Hebrew word kabod is actually the same word that's translated glory. And so it says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't stand. They all fell down because of the weight of his glory. Well, that's the same word that's used for uh, honor and respect. It's, it's understanding uh, the, the weight, the importance. <clears throat> In the New uh, Testament, uh, it's translated uh, to, to prize or to fix a value on. Uh, to revere. In other words, you just recognize the value of that person. And so you honor them, recognizing them. So biblically, it means that to recognize the weight, the influence, the value, the treasure that someone is in your life, to honor them. And of course, we're to honor everyone, but especially to have a, to carry in our hearts an honor and a respect toward our parents. Ideally, <clears throat> we learned that how to do this in a healthy house that have, uh, that you know the mom and dad are, are honorable <laughs> and can be honored. But even when they're not, <clears throat> we need to understand that we need to learn how to value that relationship because it affects all other relationships. And the reality is no parent is perfect 
And God knew this when he gave the command. All right? God knew that there was no perfect parent when he gave the command. God knew that you were going to be born into a broken family when he gave the command, honor your parents. All right? He knowingly commands us to honor imperfect people as a way to find blessing. Why? Because all people are imperfect. Okay? And we need to honor all people. If we can learn this with our parents, and if parents can learn how to treat their children in appropriate ways, if we can get this relationship right, boy, it just makes every other relationship easier to get right. And so that's why it's so important. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments. The value we place on a person is not based on their earned worth. In other words, if they, they behave good enough, but on their inherent worth. Right? And so, <clears throat> even though my parents did things that were not honorable, I can still honor them. You can show honor to those who behave dishonorably. You can still demonstrate respect for them as an individual, as a person God placed in your life, as a person that you want to, if you have the opportunity, listen to attentively, even if you disagree with them as an adult, even if they irritate you, <laughs> you still honor them. Why? Because God says it will create blessing in your whole life. And so I now read this no longer like, this is what my kids have to do toward me. But I read this even at my age with my parents dead and gone as this is how I need to treat my parents so that I can be blessed. And, and this is how I need, to, I need to teach my children the value of honoring parents, not just so that they obey me, but that they, they get the blessing that comes with the honoring that God promises. Isn't that much better? And just getting my way, right? Understanding the significance of this relationship and the importance of doing it right changes everything to me. It's not just these are the rules to make your kids obey. Uh, no, this is this is uh, the design of God to create a healthy society, you know, and for individuals to live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> fathers uh, or parents, don't provoke your children. So it says fathers, but this doesn't mean uh, mothers can provoke children. <laughs> um, don't provoke your children uh, to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Again, really simple contrast here. You can provoke them to anger, or you can discipline them. Instead, you should discipline them with the instruction that comes from the Lord. And you need to be aware that according to this verse and many other places in Scripture, as parents, we are partly responsible, significantly responsible, I would say. Uh, well, first of all, we're responsible for the way we treat our children. Of course, we're responsible for the way we treat our children. But we're also partly responsible for the outcome of how we treated our children, <clears throat> okay? Uh, and, and different children may be uh, provoked in different ways. And so if you have an angry child, 
Are you willing to say, what am I doing? To what degree am I responsible for that anger? Right? The Bible says don't provoke your children to anger. And so if you have an angry child, as a parent, you need to take some responsibility and realize, hmm, is there something I'm doing or is there something I'm not doing? Or am I doing something in a way that's provoking them? And this is true of any negative or destructive emotion, emotion or behavior. All right? Most often, the source of that negative emotion and behavior in your children, guess where it comes from? It comes from you. All right? You know the good things in our kids? Ah, it takes after his father. It takes after his mother. <laughs> Bad things in our kids, except the mother. <laughs> except the mother. It's true. As much as you want to not, you know, and of course you're not, they're responsible for their own life. But you know, there's something in them. You, you have to at least say, God, search me. Is there anything that I'm doing that's actually provoking them? Or is there anything I'm not doing that's making it harder for them? Be willing to repent. And that means when your children's two, or 12, or 20, or 40, think, you know, are you nagging? Or are you instructing? How are you, how are you treating? Are you giving them enough attention? Or are, you, or are you giving them too much attention? You just need to pull back and give them some freedom. You know? Uh, <clears throat> and you need to evaluate it. And how do you know when to evaluate? When you see behavior in your children that, you know, you see it as destructive. Pray about it. Ask God, what can you do? Regardless of their age, you still have influence. Especially in the spiritual realm. You have incredible influence as a parent to pray. You can break demonic strongholds off your children. Because you have inherent authority. Uh, now, if they're still living in your home, you have greater authority. But even after they move out, you still, as a parent, have significant authority in the spirit realm because they're your offspring. And so you're, what I mean by that is that your prayers have more power than someone else's prayer. And your intercession and your actions toward them, it just has more power. <clears throat> you need to own that. Uh, rather than enrage your children, we need to engage your children with discipline and instruction. And, and, and those words mean, uh, I like the word training and nurture. Because it really involves both. It involves instruction, but the idea of nurturing and understanding your children so that they grow uh, healthily and not just teaching them. But it does include teaching. There's that perfect balance between instruction and care that we are to have toward our children. <clears throat> is a long definition of skip that. It's, it's anything that uh, uh, affects the cultivation of their soul. Alright? And so it means teaching them how to drive a car, teaching them how to manage money, but also teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to relate to one another. And you teach best by example. It's what they see. And kids see everything. They know everything. Never think you can keep a secret from a kid. Because they're going to pick up on it. 
Now, I do believe that you're not to divulge all everything to them. You need to understand what they're capable of of hearing in appropriate ways. But what I'm saying is they see your life. And so how you live your life affects them so much, even when it doesn't look like it. Okay, and so those teenage years when they seem, you know, the least likely to want to receive anything from you, right? and especially, you know, depending on the kid, but and when they're in their early 20s, mid-20s, you know, uh, they may not uh, openly receive instruction from you because they're, 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 they're figuring out how to be a, uh, an adult on their own. <clears throat> Nevertheless, you have incredible influence in their lives. And stay strong, uh, stay the course, be an example for them, be an encouragement. Continue to nurture them to the degree that they will allow you to receive it. By the way, this is the first time I think I've ever talked on parenting on Father's Day. It's a complete coincidence. <laughs> when we planned out the preaching calendar, I didn't even think of Father's Day. I don't really think about holidays much. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. This is from the message. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson puts it uh, because it gives that balance. Yes, there is time to... To discipline your children in, you know, stern ways, it's appropriate to 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 uh, intervene uh, and stop uh, destructive behavior, especially when they're children. But ultimately, we need to see it as leading them like Jesus leads us, right? And that we are to steward our children of any age as Christ would. And so think. What would Jesus do in your relationship with your parent or with your, your with your children? And in the same way, what would Jesus do? How would he speak of your parents uh, <clears throat> when you're talking about him? Submit those things to the Lord and your life will be good. Your kid's life will be good. The next generation uh, will be good. And saints, <clears throat> don't you know and wouldn't you agree that uh, we need transformation in our generation? Okay, and shouting at the people we disagree at and, and saying uh, you know, how bad they are isn't going to change it. But raising up a generation that uh, lives differently, lives wholesomely, that knows the, the, the strength of a, of, a, of a mom and a dad that love each other, raising children, and that, 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 the power of that. Listen, the church was birthed into a society where sexual roles were far more confused than they are now, where everything was not only tolerated, but actually celebrated. And when the church came and, and offered an option that was different than what the world offered, and that was marriage till death do you part, love-based relationships, honor and respect uh, uh, between children and their parents, that changed the world. And saints, we have the opportunity to change the world in our day by getting this right. Andy, could you come up and close the service? It is fitting that it's Father's Day. Yeah. Uh, that's a great message, great reminder. Um, yeah, reminder that we were born into a broken world. And that humanity started.
it's okay that we're broken and that through God you know, that brokenness can be healed. Um, and I will testify to that, definitely. So, um, one announcement I did forget to make, there are new serve schedules. They are on the table by the entrance. I encourage anybody that is involved in various roles on Sunday morning to pick one of those up so we can stay on track with that. Um, also, there is prayer in Rama, I believe, today. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I would, um, yeah, also encourage you to take advantage of that. There's a prayer team that um, will pray with you for any needs that you have in Rama. The people on the RAM team are trained to hear the voice of God and uh, communicate that to you. So it is a great, great service to take advantage of. Um, with that, coffee, donuts, enjoy, partake in that. Um, thank you for coming. Great close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again. Thank you for. The prayers of this church, thank you for the leadership team, thank you for uh, Pastor Michael, his commitment to this community now, to this church, we just pray a blessing on that. Uh, thank you for, for your guidance and your role and uh, actively finding Michael for this church almost immediately, Lord. Um, we just thank you for that. Uh, bless, bless this church as it goes this week, uh, the community, the congregation. Uh, just pray that you would be with each and every one of us that are here and that are listening and watching, Lord, that we would follow your voice and, and your path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.